From the JAMA Network, this is the JAMA Medical News Podcast. Discussing timely topics in clinical medicine, biomedical sciences, public health, and health policy featured in the medical news section of JAMA. No, I'm going to have a little talk with their daddies like I said I was. And you think that's a solution? No, not entirely. They won't stop it altogether, but get their dads to tan their hides, and it'll slow it down a good bit. Like you say, a little spank here and there ain't gonna hurt nothing. Don't own it to fit. Eat it, eat it, eat it. I'm gonna wallop her hiney until it looks like two jack flags. <laughs> no, no, spank her. Yes, spank her. Listen to Aunt Dina. <laughs> This is Jennifer Abbasi for JAMA Medical News. You just heard clips from two TV classics, The Andy Griffith Show and All in the Family. Andy Taylor, Barney Fife, and Archie Bunker's characters all think a good spanking is in order for some troublesome kids. Depending on where you stand on spanking, you may agree. But the American Academy of Pediatrics doesn't. The largest organization for U.S. pediatricians says the time has come to stop spanking kids. The AAP recently released an updated policy statement on corporal punishment, the first major revise since 1998, based on mounting evidence that physical punishments don't work in the long term and could even cause unintended harms. The group is taking a strict stance against parents, caregivers, and other adults using spanking, hitting, or slapping to discipline children. The policy also recommends against verbal discipline that causes shame or humiliation. I recently spoke with Dr. Robert Segge, one of the policy statement's authors and a pediatrician at the Floating Hospital for Children at Tufts Medical Center in Boston. We talked about the AAP's position and how physicians can help parents discipline more safely and effectively. So what is the AAP's policy on corporal punishment? The American Academy of Pediatrics advises that parents should not hit their children, spanking or anything like that, and also that they shouldn't use verbal punishment that causes shame or humiliation. Now, the last time the AAP released formal guidance on discipline was in 1998, I think. That's correct. In the past, the previous policy has simply been reaffirmed. A few years ago, there was such an accumulation of evidence that the leadership of the AAP asked us to redo the policy statement, including the 20 years of evidence that had accumulated since the first policy statement. The 1998 policy statement discouraged parents from spanking their children and suggested that pediatricians tell parents not to spank their children, but it was a little wishy-washy. And I think that what's happened in the 20 years since then is that the data has really been overwhelming um, about how corporal punishment is ineffective and how it's potentially risky. So in particular, the 1998 guidance said parents should be encouraged and assisted in developing methods other than spanking in response to undesired behaviors. And the new policy statement says that parents should not spank their children. So much more direct, clear, and it really represents the accumulated evidence that we have about spanking. You know, there's always an issue for doctors because parenting is a very personal thing. And, of course, parents make their own decisions about how they want to raise their children. And our feeling at the American Academy of Pediatrics is that the role of doctors is to give parents the best 
evidence-informed guidance that we possibly can from which to make their decisions. And in the 20 years since the last policy statement came out, the evidence and the studies have accumulated, so now the information we can provide parents is much clearer, and we now know that we can say that all of what we know says that parents should never hit their children. So what do recent studies tell us about the effectiveness of spanking and other physical discipline? Well, first of all, it's not effective. There was a meta-analysis of quite a large number of studies, and they all showed that corporal punishment doesn't work. It doesn't cause children to change their own behavior, certainly not in the medium or long term. And what do we know about the consequences of corporal punishment on children? There are three main kinds of consequences for children from corporal punishment. The first is that it increases their aggressive behavior and causes them more problems, therefore, in school and with their parents. In the largest study of its kind, a longitudinal study that followed children over several ways of study, corporal punishment often led to a vicious cycle where the children became more oppositional as they experienced corporal punishment causing their behavior to get worse, and the parents use more corporal punishment, causing the children to become more oppositional and less well-behaved, causing the parents to use more corporal punishment, and on and on it went. So for some group of children, this vicious cycle was really very, very difficult. The second consequence, which is a little harder to be as certain about, is there is evidence that the use of corporal punishment affects children's brain development. Dr. Segi said that in one study of young adults, those who had consistently been exposed to harsh corporal punishment had lower prefrontal cortical gray matter and lower performance IQ than those who hadn't. The study speaks to a broader body of research looking at the effects of experience on children's brain growth. We now know, for example, that toxic stress can cause similar changes in children's brains. Some researchers believe that elevated cortisol levels are responsible for these changes in the brain. Here's Dr. Segi again. The third set of outcomes are mental health problems. And in a fair number of studies, children who have had corporal punishment have uh, mental health problems, including anxiety and depression and other common outcomes. So what we have, in summary is that corporal punishment is ineffective and puts children at risk for poor developmental and behavioral outcomes. And with that, the Academy felt very strongly um, that parents should not be spanking their kids or verbally humiliating them. The policy also addresses harsh verbal discipline. What does that mean? It's discipline that's intended to shame or humiliate a child. So instead of saying, don't do that, say, you're an awful person in various ways, or you're always like that, or I wish you'd never been born, or all kinds of nasty things that parents can say to children in anger. And it turns out that those have very similar consequences to corporate punishment in the few studies that have looked at it. And of course, as a doctor, this makes complete sense, because with rare exceptions, there's no physical injury from being hit by your parents. What happens is the psychological injury of shame and humiliation. So if you remove the physical part and you have the shame and humiliation, it has the same negative effects on children. So we don't want parents to substitute 
um, shaming and humiliating their children verbally for spanking. So does this mean that parents should never yell at their kids or should they feel bad about it? Oh my God, if parents never yelled at their kids, I'm sure there have been parents in the history of mankind who never yelled at their kids and my hat is off to them. There's a difference between saying, don't do that, stop, and all those things, and yelling at them in a way that's meant to be degrading. Okay. So I think of it as parents are coaches. So a good coach doesn't tell one of his players, you know, you're a lousy SOB. You have no business being on the field. What are you doing here? They say, oh, my God, why did you look at that ball? It was a perfect strike. Next time, when you see a perfect strike come over the plate, swing at it. And that's the kind of coaching we think that, that parents ought to be doing. And then, in fact, most parents do do with their kids. Okay, so what approaches to discipline work better than spanking or verbal abuse? And are there better approaches for different ages? Yeah. So as pediatricians, we always think developmentally. So for children who are infants under a year old, there's actually not so much that they can hold on to as far as learning about abstract rules. So most of what you do with children then is simply distraction or redirection. So if you have a baby who's crawling towards danger, you can just pick them up, turn them 180 degrees around, and they'll continue crawling in a new direction. That sort of thing works very well for the youngest children. As children develop cognitively, they begin to crave their parents' attention. And so for toddlers and preschoolers, their parent is the most important person in the world, and parental attention is the most important thing. Now, of course, as parents, when a child is doing something um, dangerous or misbehaving in some other way, we need to pay attention to them. But what we recommend is that we also catch your child being good. So, for example, when a child is playing nicely with a younger brother, we can say, oh, you're such a wonderful big sister. Or if they do well at the grocery store, they hold themselves together past the candy aisle. They can say, you know, I know it's hard for you to pass the candy aisle, but you're really growing up. All of those things really work. And part of it is preparing the child in advance for what behavior is expected and then noticing when they're good. So you can use this craving for attention as a way to teach them good behavior. Of course, children will still misbehave, and the academy suggests a ritual kind of ignoring a child called a timeout, where a child is put in the corner for approximately a minute per year of age, and during that time they don't receive the parental attention that they crave. So those are the sort of ideas for those kids. And as kids get older, they can begin to experience the natural consequences of what they're doing. So if a child is cooking something in the kitchen and it's a mess, they can be made to clean up the kitchen even though they'd rather do something else because the natural consequence of making a mess is you have to clean up. If a younger child isn't careful when they're crossing the street, the parents can say, from now on, you have to have me or an adult hold your hand when you cross the street until you demonstrate that you're always looking both ways. So those are the kind of natural consequences that tell a child what's expected, that tie the effect of that bad behavior, the punishment, if you will, with the actual activity. Teenagers are more complicated because the task of being a teenager is becoming an adult. So parents can incrementally increase the independence of a child as she or he begins to be more responsible. So again, this requires setting expectations clearly being around to monitor that the child is following those expectations, and then as the child demonstrates responsibility to provide more independence, understanding that the 12-year-old child will become a 20-year-old adult, not overnight, but with time.
Do pediatricians and family physicians have a role in improving how discipline is meted out in families? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that we quoted in the policy statement was how often parents come to us for help with behavioral advice about their children. And pediatricians in the periodic surveys that the Academy has done said that they discuss discipline in 75 to 100% of health supervision visits. So we spend a lot of time talking with parents about child behavior. We're unlikely to say, you know, hello, Mrs. Smith, please don't spank your child. We're much more likely to hear from a parent about a problematic child behavior and then begin to help them be able to address that without using spanking. And what resources exist for physicians? For physicians, the American Academy of Pediatrics has a great deal of material available through our policy statements and other resources, including parent handouts on healthychildren.org and training at our regional and national meetings around child behavior. Most pediatricians also have a developmental and behavioral pediatrician available to them for a consultation. Now, how can physicians talk about discipline with parents in a sensitive and productive way? Well, parents come to us looking for help with their child's problematic behavior. And sometimes this problematic behavior is simply normal child development. For example, all babies cry. And just having that insight and wisdom to tell a parent that this is what the child does at this age can be enormously helpful. When there are other problematic behaviors like sleep or opposition, we can engage with parents in mutual problem solving. And often an in-depth discussion about the behavior can lead to a much better understanding on the part of the parents of why the child is doing that and therefore a strategy that might succeed in changing it. Now, what if, I'll give you a scenario, a parent and a child are in a doctor's office and the physician witnesses some form of corporal punishment or verbal abuse. The parent hasn't asked for any advice on this, but the doctor sees it's happening. What can the physician do in that situation? I think usually we suggest with starting being empathetic, oh my gosh, this is so hard, you have to wait so long, it looks like Joey is getting really impatient, and then say, we, we recommend other ways of helping Joey behave well besides hitting them. Here are some strategies you might use because we know that hitting can cause problems in the long term. And I know how much you love Joey, and this looks like it's been very upsetting for both of you. So start with empathy. We all understand what a tough job parenting is, but still be clear about the kind of advice we're giving. Recent research suggests that fewer parents spank their kids today, right? Absolutely. So what's turning the tide? You know, it's interesting because the studies don't say why people answer something. They're just surveys that ask how they parent their children. I personally think that it has to do with a general change in this generation about the acceptability of violence within the home. And we are, fortunately, much less tolerant of screaming, yelling, and hitting within uh, marital relationships. And I think that that same idea is extending to how we treat our children. Okay, so that's a good thing. It is a really good thing. What do you say to parents who defend spanking because they believe it worked on them? The first thing I say was, I'm so glad you turned out well. It's great that you're here. But you know, there are a lot of things that we do, like wearing a seatbelt, where we know that it decreases the risk, but it's often not necessary. We now know that there are ways to teach a child right from wrong that don't put fear and violence into the loving relationship with the parents.
I want you to try some of those things. Other times I ask parents, what else did your parents do besides thank you? What else do you remember from your childhood? And often you, you get a whole much broader, richer idea of what happened to them when they were kids. I asked my audio producer, Jesse, who was a dad to a spunky and independent seven-year-old girl named Lily, if he had any questions for Dr. Segi about discipline. I was just wondering if you could weigh in on your personal experience. I don't know if you're a parent. I am. So you can relate to the frustration of wanting your child to behave, usually for their own good. And, of course, they don't always listen. What are some of the mental techniques that you can use to redirect that energy in a positive way? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I am the proud father of three kids, and they have at times been frustrating because <laughs> kids are like that, right? So I think that one of the things about a timeout is that it also gave me a chance to have a timeout and cool down while the child was in the corner contemplating whatever had happened. I think that's really important. I think being able to reach out to another adult to help you when you're feeling frustrated and angry is important as well. There's not a parent in the world who hasn't experienced that kind of frustration with their kids. But the important thing to remember is that overall, children want to be good. They look to us for love and support. And there's simply no reason for fear and violence to enter into that relationship. So we can teach our children right from wrong without threatening the relationship. Now, for a parent who has reacted in anger and, say, yelled and said something inappropriate or maybe slapped their kid across the face, mm -hmm. is it appropriate to apologize? Yeah. All of us are human, and I think Jesse's question got at this too. And sometimes, no matter what we do, we're in the moment doing something that we think we shouldn't. And it's okay to model for a child that we feel badly and that we didn't mean whatever it was we said or did in anger and talk about how that felt for us as a parent. And in fact, I really love you. And that works okay if this is an occasional thing. If it's a more common problem, there are parent resource centers, there are parenting classes, there are all sorts of resources for parents who really are struggling with this issue. And I find that particularly parents who were themselves shamed, humiliated, or spanked when they were a child, and those are their prominent memories of childhood, it can be really helpful to go to a longer, more intense parenting class to help understand a whole range of different ways that they can deal with the frustrations of being a parent. Parents are a child's first and most important teachers, and we can help parents learn to teach their children right from wrong without injecting fear and violence into the most important relationship that any of us have. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, thank you. Before we end, I wanted to mention a recent study published in JAMA Pediatrics. Researchers found that verified incidents of child abuse were more common on Saturdays after school report cards were released the day before. It may not surprise you to hear this. According to the authors, physicians have been well aware of this association. The authors point to evidence that corporal punishment is a source of toxic stress for children and a leading risk factor for them to be physically abused. That's it for this episode of JAMA Medical News. To listen to more podcasts and subscribe, go to jamanetworkaudio.com. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or Stitcher. Today's episode was produced by Superdad Jesse McWhorters. I'm Jennifer Abbasi, Senior Staff Writer for JAMA Medical News. Thanks for listening.